Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good evening, good evening, and welcome to a special edition of Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. You can follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. And now you can listen to the show on here at Blog Talk Radio. So wherever you're listening to your music, you can also switch over, and if you want to listen to one of the shows, it's right there at your fingertips. Well, this evening, wow, wow, this, this is like an amazing story, a saga, really. Um, and it was put together by Thomas Lockley. He's an associate professor at Nihon University College of Law in Tokyo. Um, and he wrote a book. It's called The African Samurai. And it discusses the remarkable life of the history's first foreign-born samurai. And he happens to be African, <laughs> So it's like something you wouldn't put together. But he wrote this book. I thought it was important to talk about. And he's all the way in Japan. Uh, good, he's morning time for him. Good morning, uh, Thomas. Good morning or good evening to you. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you again for being willing to do the interview. I know the book came out um, last year, but I thought this is just a crazy story to talk about. And especially during these times, you know, we have so many stereotypes of blacks and Africans and, and what does that mean and what they're capable of. And I thought, well, this story really just shatters the glass ceiling on all of that. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, I think for people, they will be very surprised to learn. And also just learning about um, Japanese history as well along the way. You have a lot of context. You put everything in context about where this happens, the samurai person happens to be and what he's doing and who he's doing it for. So it's it's very well-rounded, very well-rounded. Um, Thank you very much. So why? But why? Why did you feel the need to write this book? What inspired you? Okay, so um, firstly, um, I wrote it with uh, a colleague and friend of mine called Jeffrey Gerard. But I first came across uh, yesterday about 11 years ago online by mistake. Um, I was researching into um, some other foreign samurai and there was a link, you know, in Wikipedia, there's a kind of link at the bottom, um, other stories or linked stories or something like that um, to Yasuke, the African who served Nobunaga or something like that. I clicked on it and this amazing story, like you just described it, this amazing story just into my face. Um, and I couldn't believe that I'd never heard of it before. Um, the story of a man from halfway over the world becoming an intimate member of a Japanese court 
in fact, not only a Japanese court, but the court of Oda Nobunaga, who is perhaps the most famous person in Japanese history. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, exactly. And which is one of the reasons why Yasuke's story is well known in Japan, because of the person he was fighting for, or the person he was uh, a member of the, the court of. Um, so there are plenty of other people like Yasuke around the world. And the more I've discovered, the more I looked into Yasuke's story, the more the hundreds of people in similar situations in all parts of the world that I did discover, but none of them quite have the romance of Yasuke's story. Quite simply, um, the Nobunaga connection, the way that he was present at Nobunaga's death, uh, possibly the mm-hmm. last person ever, living person to see him. Uh, he saved Nobunaga's head from being captured. Uh, and many people held that if the head had been captured, and this is a little bit of niche history, sorry, but if the head is captured, <laughs> in, those, in those days, the head was captured, then it was a powerful symbol of power by the person who did the capturing. So if the enemy who had, ca- had captured the head, um, that particular enemy may have gone on to become the ruler of Japan. As it was, Yasuke saved the head from being captured, and that particular enemy, who was called Akechi, uh, was killed 11 days later because everybody else ganged up against him, basically. Um, now, we don't want to tell him everything. Okay, Thomas, we don't no, want to tell him everything. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. Because we want to give him I'll some surprises, to, okay? Uh, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll come to the point. I was talking to somebody only yesterday, and he said, you know, if Yasuke hadn't been there, Japanese history would have changed. We wouldn't be sitting in the same Japan right now. And, I mean, that's a very big statement to make, but in some ways, it's got a ring of truth about it. So, it's not just the fact that he did what intentionally changed history through his action. So this book is about 445 pages long or so, or something like that. And something like that. How, something like that. <laughs> um, how long did it take you to write? How long did it take well, you to gather it, all this information? Because you have multiple sources from all over. Um, how long? It is around about a decade. That doesn't mean I was sitting down doing work on this every day for a decade. It was uh, stop and start. Um, at the beginning, I thought I'd write a novel. Uh, I didn't think there'd be enough information to actually write a factual book about this. Uh, so I sat down and uh, wrote a little bit of a novel. I'd always wanted to be a writer anyway. So it's not. I'm, I'm a teacher by profession, but um, I'd always fancy having a go at doing some, some writing. Uh, I sat down and wrote. Um, about a quarter of a book perhaps it really was not very good and then uh, my daughter was born and shortly after my son was born and you know how life gets busy and uh, you just can't you got to focus on the the day day to day about six years later I picked up the project again and started working on the serious on it seriously in a more academic way Um, looking at the background looking at the possibilities of where he came from in Africa what exactly the likelihoods were, whether some of the sources were accurate or some of them were just made up at the time or 100 years later, etc. And um, putting it into a logical framework, which people like yourself or like myself could actually understand as a human life rather than just a few lines on a page or on a Wikipedia page. And uh, I think the book itself uh, was originally published in a Japanese form, an academic form in 2017 mm-hmm. and that probably took a year and this book itself probably took another year a year and a half so yeah the real key period probably a couple of years but with about 10 years background reading as well back and forth that, 
How did you it's and Jeffrey? Of, it's been a bit of work, yeah. <laughs> how did you and Jeffrey Gerard separate the work, or who did what, or what, what was more his specialty? Yeah, he's he's a very well published author. In fact, this I think was about his thirteenth book. Um, he focuses on. Um, he was originally focusing on narrative. I was going to focus on the factual, but actually came to play off each other really well. Um, he went out and found some new facts, some new stories that fitted in really well with uh, with what we were talking about. I really got into the whole game of narrative, and um, we knocked off each other very well. And uh, I think uh, if there was ever another opportunity, I'd love to write another book with him. Um, it was a, a really good learning curve for me uh, to learn from such an experienced author. And, um, yeah, it gave me a lot of confidence to write more books, which I have been doing. Well, I think your next book is going to be about a black woman who was a Buddhist, who was raised a Buddhist in America. I'm just saying. That, I mean, right. I don't Let, know. Let's try that. that. Let's try yeah, that. One. Maybe but, you, know, you, saying, you want to talk okay. about this another time? <laughs> we, <laughs> we can, uh, we can yeah. have a look at that. Yeah, we can take a look at that. Um, so let's start, you know, the beginning. This guy, let's say, first of all, how did you pronounce his name? Because yeah, yes, I'm yes. not sure if I was Yasuke. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Okay, so where was this person born in Africa, um, and how did you find that out? Like, was there an actual document that said he was born here, or were you making no. it up based on maps? How did you figure that out? There's no documents uh, that said. There is one source from about 50 years after we said he came from the area of Mozambique. But we look at his physical description. We look at um, various other factors. It's highly unlikely that he came from Mozambique. People from yeah. Mozambique are not very tall, for example, whereas Yasuke was over six foot two. In those days, that was a, a giant. Um, the people in Mozambique have uh, not such dark skin. Yasuke had skin the color of black ink. Um, mm-hmm. The people in Mozambique at the time, near where the Portuguese had their colonies, had distinctive, um, they filed their teeth, almost like vampires. Um, and Yasuke did not have the, those kind of characteristics. Um, and there are various other tiny little details. And again, the Portuguese were not very secure there. They didn't engage in uh, human trafficking there at the time uh, to a large extent. There was some, of course, but it was not a very big thing during the 1570s. To the north, the Arabs, the Indians, and indeed the Africans, uh, the African lords on the coast were trafficking over 10,000 people per year. Uh, wow. the, description, the, description, yeah, uh, the description of Yasuke um, fits far more into the people of what is now Sudan, uh, especially South Sudan. And I'm, it's a guess, but it's, a very, it's an educated guess, is that he was probably from South Sudan and probably a member of the Dinka people or perhaps the Nuer people, who are to this day the tallest people in the world on average. Uh, mm-hmm. and also have extremely dark skin, the color of dark ink, and various other factors um, which make it quite likely that he was from what is now South Sudan. So you just mentioned the issue of human trafficking. I mean, that's a really big issue still going on now. People somehow 
sure. don't think it's happening. And even in America, I did a show here with um, one of the um, leaders of a human trafficking, um, like a commission. And I mean, it happened right here in America, in Chinatown. There were people in a yeah. wall um, yeah. that the table guy found. Yep. You know, so um, people are trafficked all over for nail bars or for um, for construction work, for agricultural work. Yeah, mm-hmm. it still happens yeah. today, all over the world, not just America, all over the world. I think just I say America, people don't think about. They always think it's like this foreign thing that's happening. You know, like um, you know, India or Asian uh, other country and. You know, they don't think about America in their neighborhood, like right around the corner from them. Um, you know, a lot of homeless children, you know, get picked up at, you know, places because they're out in the street, you know. And um, that that's what they're happens. They're, they're Exactly, people they're vulnerable. pounce on vulnerable people. That's part of human history, unfortunately. And I think the, the good thing about the modern age is we can look back and think that, well, it used to be, I said human trafficking, it used to be called slave trading. Yeah. Um, but I don't think personally using the word trade in relation to a human being is a very nice thing to do. So I prefer to use the word human trafficking, which is what it is. Anyway, um, it, unfortunately, it, it is still going on. But if we look back in history, the, the millions and millions and millions, we can see that today less prevalent. And that at least is something. Uh, for example, in the Indian Ocean, well over 11 million Africans were um, trafficked from North Africa to India, to Persia, to the Arab countries, and indeed from the Middle East into Italy and other European countries that way as well. The Atlantic slave trade or human trafficking uh, was a later, started at a later date. Um, around Yeska's time, um, it started a little bit and it would, became a lot more important in the next century after that. But the numbers in the Atlantic were smaller than that in the Indian Ocean. Mm. Um, nobody knows, for example, nobody knows for sure how many. But uh, unfortunately, the human trafficking, the history of human trafficking is a very, very uh, significant word. Forced migration is another word. Sometimes, <laughs> okay. No, sometimes used by historians. Uh, yeah. Migration because yeah. uh, that's essentially what it is. Yeah. Anyway. Well, let's talk about, you have a character in here. Well, he's a true-life character that's actually, actually documented. Um, he's a Jesuit. Um, he's very smart. Um, he's very uh, innovative, proactive, I would say. His name is Alessandro, I think, Valignano. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Valignano. Valignano, yeah, okay. Yeah. And um, tell the audience a little bit about him. Um and his background. Well, Valiano was the man who employed Yasuke to protect him as his bodyguard. So Valiano comes into this as uh, a secondary character to the central character who is our hero, Yasuke. Um, Valiano himself was from what we would now call Italy, but in those days it was part of a, it was a Spanish position. The King of Spain was the ruler. Um, and he, he had a he had a checkered past. He was in prison for a year, having slashed the lady's cheek. But he was obviously forgiven, or perhaps his dad paid the right people to get him out of prison. And he went straight into missionary work and was sent off to uh, the Far East, uh, to, first of all to India, and then the Far East to inspect the missionaries' work and inspect how 
the Jesuit missionaries could improve their conditions and improve their uh, conversion rate. He saw that most of his uh, subordinate missionaries were not learning local languages. He saw they were disorganized. He saw they were disrespecting local cultures. And he essentially tried to change all that around to fit the Jesuits in within local cultures. So he, in Japan, he insisted that his uh, missionaries learn Japanese, for number one, and that probably included his bodyguard Yasuke as well, which is why Yasuke could speak good Japanese. Uh, he uh, changed the missionary's clothing to make it look more like a Japanese priest's clothing. He changed the ranking systems to fit in with Japanese monks' ranking systems mm -hmm. within monasteries. Yeah. And that kind of innovation to essentially nativize the foreign, to make what seemed or what was a very foreign idea and a very foreign concept, he tried to make it as, as smoothly integratable as possible. And you might think that um, you might think he went to Wharton. <laughs> he sounds almost like a you know he got an MBA in business, but for the Jesuit you know organization. Uh, well, he 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 did have a law degree uh, yes, from the University yes. of Chetty, I think. So uh, <laughs> that's probably the equivalent. The more the modern equivalent would be an MBA. Yeah, <laughs> PR probably. Um, yeah. So you mentioned that um, Yasuke was his bodyguard. How did they? How tell the audience how the two of them connected? Well, that unfortunately is not known uh, factually, but mm -hmm. um, it's probably fair to say that had Yasuke been trafficked to India, he would have been raised as what is known as a slave soldier um, within a corps of African cavalrymen, perhaps, of which there were maybe 100,000 in India at this time. Many of them had been trafficked originally, but they were essentially made into child soldiers and then adult soldiers and they served the Indian rulers um, uh, very loyally, and they, they became rich people. Many of them became members of the government in the Indian state they served. Yasuke was probably one of these. He didn't become a big man in India, but he probably was then, when Valiano was looking for somebody to protect him, he went for the biggest and strongest man he could find. Uh, <laughs> and that is how Yasuke came into his service. Now, there's been a lot of debate as to whether Yasuke was a slave at the time or whether he would have been traded. It's highly unlikely that he would have been uh, employed in those circumstances. The Jesuits were um, against slavery. They, I wouldn't say they fought against it, but they spoke against it. And it would have been a high, highly embarrassing for a senior Jesuit, the most senior Jesuit in Asia, to be seen to be dirtying his hands with slave trading. So he was, Yasuke was more likely employed as a salaried bodyguard. Um, and the last thing to say about that is that Japan at the time was in the middle of 100 years of civil war, and it was a very dangerous place. Again, a priest could not be seen to travel with weapons himself, so he needed to have one or more people to be carrying the weapons for him and for do him. the yeah. dirty work if, if it was needed. And Yasuke, again, as the biggest and strongest man around, picked that bill perfectly. That is how Yasuke came to be in the service of Valiano and how Yasuke came to arrive in Japan on March 21st, 1579. So why don't you read a little, we talked about you reading a little of the story um, okay. of kind of a, the, the, where, uh, when they're in Japan and um, his, I would say, owner, if you will, because I feel like he was 
I mean, from my perspective, like you said, he was probably getting paid, but um, again, he, he could, probably couldn't leave on his own will and walk around uh, and say, "I don't, I don't want to be with you." Joy, but Joy, in those days, nobody could do that. Yeah, to be free in the, in the modern about, context, yeah. um, the word of freedom didn't really exist in those days. Not in any kind yeah. of concept that we could offer. To be free was to starve. To not have a master was to not have a patron to put right. you forward. It was. You were saying you were saying master. The very word samurai means to serve. So the samurai warrior is a servant. That, that's what the, the word means. Yeah. So well, he wasn't a samurai right, yet when he was. Well, he wasn't he, there yet. He, he, but he, he will was be. not. But the way yeah. he, his next employer, his next lord, is about to come in to the story, and I shall read the part where they meet. Um, Very good. This is this is this is Joy's choice of uh, passage and I, I hope it goes down well okay. okay so just the context he's been called to an audience with this great lord Oda Nobunaga who is the biggest and greatest lord in Japan the African rose slowly to his full height and walked upright in confidence despite his nerves past the kneeling courtiers to the far end of the room Father Argentino followed him and they approached together within a few feet of the great hegemon Oda Nobunaga Directly before the mighty Japanese lord, Yasuke knelt again, bowing deeply. All chattering in the room had stopped. The courtiers seemingly stunned by his presence, and everything now took place in such complete silence that it seemed as if they were all moving in a dream. Upon Nobunaga's gesture to approach further, Yasuke crawled forward awkwardly on his knees. Given his size, he found the act difficult to do in a dignified way. Keeping his head as low to the mats as possible, he moved to within a few feet of the raised dace, lowered his head again, all the way flat to the floor. Nobunaga addressed Augustino again, welcoming him and asking the priest to tell this new man that he was gratified by his presence too. Yasuke understood the words well enough without translation as Father Augustino raised his head and returned to a bolt upright kneeling position. Yasuke mirrored the position, but keeping his eyes to the floor as Augustino explained to Nobunaga that Yasuke was able to communicate in Japanese if Nobunaga desired to speak to him directly. Nobunaga tested the claim at once. He welcomed Yasuke and asked his name and if he was comfortable. Yasuke, after two years of hearing courtly Japanese, replied with customary deference and in an acceptable manner. The Japanese lord nodded, pleased, and openly chuckled. A big grin still on his face. He rode incredulously to inspect this unique, curious visitor. He asked Yasuke to stand again. He'd heard about the cause of the great riot, was interested, had serious doubts as to whether this man was actually black-skinned. Was this not, in fact, some public relations trick of the curious foreigners, concocted to grab attention from the populace and please him? Could he catch these Jesuits out in the joke? He would get to the bottom of it, and it was, in any case, an ideal excuse for a fun break from the business of forging a nation. Now, the added notion that a strange man from alien lands half a world away could also converse in civilized language was an even greater surprise and delight. He did as he was bid while focused on remaining respectful. Too much rested on the next five minutes. Nobunaga viewed the African warrior close up, touched his skin, rubbed it. Black was the color, if one believed in such things, which Nobunaga did not. Of gods and demons, not men. Nobunaga had seen such a god, Daikokuteng, before in the Kyomizudera temple, a short walk away, and the protective guardian demons at the gates of most temples were often dark-skinned, black or deep burgundy. 
Nobunaga called for water and a brush. He commanded his guests good-naturedly, with a quick smile to his vassals, to strip to the waist. Yasuke bowed and promptly removed his shirt and doublet. The African warrior awaited the scrubbing and held his smile, little worried that his skin would change colour. The servants quickly fetched a bucket and brush and offered them up to Nobunaga in two hands from a kneeling position, their palms facing heaven and their heads remaining bowed to the floor. The Japanese lords snatched up the brush and scrubbed the giant man's skin himself, scouring Yasuke's exposed arm, then his back, along his neck, throughout. Yasuke stood perfectly still and firm, flexed, muscles tensed and bulging knowing he was on display. Of course, to Nobunaga's great interest, no matter where he turned, Yasuke's skin colour remained stubbornly the same. He eyed his, his guest curiously, an incredulous grin returning to his face. With a big sigh of satisfaction, Nobunaga tossed the brush back into his bucket, still being held aloft by the prostrating servant. Nobunaga, uh, Nobunaga announced the whole room, he was at last convinced of the verity of this dark-skinned wonder. He nodded to the foreign warrior with a smile. Yasuke bowed deeply. Nobunaga called out for food and drink. There would be an immediate party to celebrate the coming of this miracle man to his court. Yasuke had become the new guest of honor. I shall finish there. So, wow. You know, <laughs> it's funny because even in this day and age, people are still amazed by... African Americans. Um, I went to Poland. This was years ago, and um, I had braids in my hair. Um, and at that time, I mean, I was in a town. It was called Bidgosh. It was like, uh, and I mean, I, every time I walked down the street, people would be staring at me. So I know the feeling that they probably felt. <laughs> um, and um, the scene right a little before this is he he, he got chased by a mob. In your book, um, you know, running right. down the street, almost getting his clothes torn off because people were just so enamored and and curious about him. Uh, nobody tore my clothes off, but they did want to touch my skin, and people did want to touch my hair. And I was okay because I knew they had never really seen black people, and um, it, it didn't. If they weren't ignorant about it, you know what I mean. Sometimes people do things, and they're very disrespectful. Uh, my daughter has had experiences with, with incidents, but um, then other times with people, they really want to know and understand, and, and that's okay. Um, in, in Yasuke's case, I'm not sure. I think he just was curious about he'd never seen a black, uh, you know, black person or an African person at that time period. Um, so he was well, it's, just it's, probably... It's a, little more than, it's a little more than that as well. Black skin was associated with gods, with demons, right. with the supernatural. I, I was going to say, you know, yeah. It was... It was it wasn't just a man coming to visit. It was a semi-divine being, a god, almost. Now, was there a and name, right? There was a name for this god, um, Japanese well, god, there, right? There are, lot, there are lots of names for lots of demons and gods, but the particular okay. one, which is uh, a particular one, which is very close to where this happened, um, mm -hmm. about 10 minutes' walk, is called, uh, there's a model of the god called Daikokden, who is uh, he's, he's the deity of fortune good fortune basically um so th this god which means the great god of blackness basically um is associated with wealth and fortune in, in japan to this day um sometimes his skin is not black sometimes his skin is black um but the one that i happen to see very close by to where this all happened his skin is the same color as yasuke black as ink 
and um, so that was to me when I actually walked into that temple and saw it I had a eureka moment wow this is what those guys were seeing at that time they had no other uh, they had no other way of approaching somebody with black skin or dark skin uh, apart from as a as a god or a semi-divine being mm-hmm. and the last thing to say on that is that the only other dark-skinned people that had reached Japan generally were from India, also dark-skinned, and they were always monks, Buddhist monks. So they were very high-ranking people, and they had been coming on and off for probably around about a thousand years at this time. So um, it, it, we have to put it in that context. Nobunaga was actually astound, astounded, as were all the other people in the city who who write it to see yeah. literally this marvel and that's why Jeffrey and I use the word marvel because this to them was the the key point of the age this was something very special well I think the Jesuit uh, priest was probably jealous based on his um, ego the way you wrote about him <laughs> I'm thinking he was a little jealous of the attention and also um, probably pleased though because he got the attention for the Jesuit through this you know, I mean, what, yes. what better PR? What better PR could you want? Like a PR, yes. Put, mm-hmm. To put your man in NBA. the court of the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not gonna. I better stop talking now because that kind of comes in later in the book, and you told me off earlier for telling audience. <laughs> so I, no, I'll no, leave it there. I, I'm gonna give some copies away of your book, and I want people to know that. So uh, don't forget to follow on social media. So that's another reason I don't want you to give everything because then they'll be like, oh, I don't need to read. But I want them to read because there's so, so much detail that we can't possibly tell everything in a conversation. But I do want to bring up, I do want to bring up because I'm a woman. I know we get to the time right here, but real quick, I want to talk about women. The women, you have, the women in the story are sisters or wives, daughters, concubines. You have one special woman. (laughs) Well, I think two up that I thought were, that stood out for me, the Amo women and the Witch of Bungo. I'm okay. not sure if I'm pronouncing yeah. that correctly. You tell the audience a little bit about the Bungo? A Bungo, yeah. Um, she was called, she was a priestess, and she was also the, the queen, the, the, the wife or the, the first wife of the uh, Lord of Bungo, which is in southwest Japan. Uh, on Kyushu Island, and he had converted to Christianity because the, the Jesuits were willing to let him divorce his wife, um, whereas <laughs> the, the the local priests were not willing to let him divorce his wife. So he converted to Christianity so he could divorce his wife. Now that wife, who we don't know the real name of, uh, but the Jesuits called her Jezebel, um, was not very pleased that she had been divorced, number one. And number two, she wanted revenge. So very powerful woman and a priestess of a local cult in her own right. She was uh, fighting to get rid of the priests and to exterminate the, as she saw it, stain of Catholicism from her area. Um, and also to get back at the husband who'd spawned her, uh, spurned her. Um, so that's one of them. Um, we know her family name, Napa. But we don't know um, what her first uh, her, her given name was. The Jesuits called her Jezebel, as I said. Obviously, that's got biblical rings to it. Mm, they didn't like. Yes. They didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other, uh, we we went specifically to try and look for some strong women 
And I think in, in Japan, many of the strong women ruled through from behind curtains. They often controlled their sons. Um, it's quite common in Japan for women to rule, but not in their own name as such, but through their sons, through giving advice, through uh, doing other things. Many of the um, powerful women in Japanese history have done so through that that position of being a mother, um, a very respected position in what is, to a certain extent, a very matriarchal society. Um, the other stronger women we wanted to come out with and uh, expose to the world were warrior women. And there's at least uh, one or two instances of warrior women that we know that Yasuke would have seen or at least been very close to. Uh, you have to read the book to find out what they were doing. Um, then there's also ninja, female ninja, uh, who are very common um, assassins. Uh, they also make an appearance in the book, again, with proximity to Yasuke himself, um, although we cannot say for definite whether he did meet these ladies or not. Um, and, and they could have been covered up. They could have been covered up. He might not have known that it was a woman. Um Absolutely. I mean, you know, the sex of an assassin, the sex of an assassin is irrelevant <laughs> if, right, they're killing, right. if they're killing yeah. you. Um, and a ninja of male or female dresses in pretty much the same drab way. Um, yeah. Now, Women play a very the, big the... role in Japanese history and a role which is often overlooked. Um, but I'm working on something related to that right now, actually. Um, that might come out oh, next year. Oh, so. okay. So you have to come back then. I'm gonna have wow. to. You're gonna have to send me a copy, and then you have to come back, and we'll talk about that. I would love that. Let's talk about that another time. It's not <laughs> another time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, not yet. no, no yeah, not definitely. Okay. Yeah. Well, definitely, this is an amazing story, and um, it has a variety of characters in it, not just the the African samurai. So I think people will learn a lot, and um, and I'm glad like you brought up the different types of women because. Usually, you know, people are these blank things, but you have certain characters, and um, I thought that was um, important. I, I learned that I, I didn't know, you know, um, about. I'm glad you noticed because we yes. put, went to a lot of effort to try and find balance, uh, in all, not just in in um, sex, uh, in gender, but also in. Um, we also mentioned stories of homosexuality and male friendship and stuff. We tried to find the balance of the times and the way people were at that time. And we tried to work on these things. And actually very few people, I mean, I've done perhaps even a hundred interviews and nobody's ever mentioned the fact that there are women in the book before. So thank you very much for bringing that up. That's really yeah, gratifying for me too. That's good. That's good. Now I do want to bring up, I mean, if you have time, do you mind talking about the samurai sure. mentorship situation? Because I did want to mention that, and that I had no idea about. Um, but I had seen a movie recently, and that same type of um, relationship happened. The guy was the head of this religious organization, and he took a mentee, and they developed the type that you talk about in the book. But I don't want to say, so I want you to say what happened in the samurai mentor-mentee relationship. Sure. Um uh, it, it's difficult to explain to an American audience uh, in simple terms, but essentially within much of East Asian culture um, at the time and historically, um, although it's not 
as researched as it could be. Male on male and indeed female on female relationships were a part of life and a, a standard common part of life, particularly among warriors. Um, they often were in the field for a long time um, without without any female contact, perhaps. Um, but within the Japanese context, it came to be more formalized in a situation where a young warrior um, would be essentially adopted and trained up in not just fighting, but also behavior, comportment, cultural studies. I warrior who was a little bit older, maybe uh, maybe the older warrior would be around 30 and the younger warrior would be around 15. This was a formalized situation, often with, done with the blessing of the parents, sometimes organized by the parents involved. And uh, as part of the friendship and part of the mentorship, um, um, sex would, would happen, um, love relationships would blossom. And then when the younger man became of an age himself, he would himself find a lover. Now, this is a very good way for soldiers to fight to the end for their lovers. Uh, to ensure that your soldier, your warrior, is not going to run off the battlefield when he's uh, he's got so much invested in the people around him. Um, this is often a fairly monogamous relationship among in a homosexual way, but both guys would still almost definitely be having female sexual relations at the same time as well, and that didn't have any uh, negative connotations at the time. It is a very, very, very different cultural sphere from the one we have today, uh, particularly from a Judeo-Christian perspective. Um, but that's pretty much how things were. And there's a lot of, in the Japanese context, there's a lot of research. Less so for the Korean and Chinese context, though from what I have read, fairly similar relations also were carried out um, there as well. So, yeah, that is so amazing because I had just, like I said, I saw a movie and I was like, oh my God, this is like exactly how this guy, he mentored these guys. They were his um, uh, security, and and but then he wanted them to get married to a woman. Yep. So I'm like, did these people read the same book or the Japanese history of Samurai? Because I, I, I was, like, so crazy. And um, what I also well, found – Well, it's fairly standard knowledge. It's fairly standard knowledge among, among uh, Japanese historians or even the Japanese public. It, it's just – what happened in history? Right, right. But this was an Amer. This was an American film. This wasn't a foreign film. Oh, right, it was okay. an Ameri- Yeah, that was an American film, and it was with African American actors. Okay. And the guy was head of this religious organization, so it was totally like removed. But it was the same process. That's exactly what he did. And he didn't. And could, nobody thought could anything. Could you send me wrong. the title of the movie? <laughs> can you send I, me the title of the movie? I, I'll, I'll send you an email. I'll send you an email. Yeah. Um, Lovely. Now. Uh, again, I'm going to give some copies of your book away. Um, are you on social media at all? Can people follow you or should they, yeah, or do you, you want them to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, on Facebook, um, Thomas Lockley, author. Um, please come and say hello. That's how Joy found me. Um, please come and say hello. I don't update every day, but when something happens that's significant or a new piece of research or something about Yasuke's life comes out, or um, a presentation is happening, then um, I always publicize it, um, particularly as I think that, as you said right at the 
interview, we need to know stories like this. Not just the African-American people, but everybody needs to know stories like this. This is the universal uh, knowing different stories from traditional history uh, is a positive for the future of humankind, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the more we find out about other people in the past and, and in the present, indeed, then the better our future can be. And therefore, um, I'm trying my best to both expose Jeske's story, but also the stories of people like him uh, that have contributed great things to world history but have been forgotten. And also, we talked earlier before about the learning of languages and how important that is in helping people learn languages. And um, I think that you can see repetitive things happening, like you don't realize the connection, how so many things are connected. And for me, I feel like it then makes the world smaller. Like sometimes you think it's yeah. so big, but it's really not that big because then you see these repetitive actions and storylines and behaviors that happened, okay, this was 1500, but now they're happening today. So did they read about it or was it passed down, you know, clothing, all types of things, you know, even in fashion, things are repetitive, you know, things are repeating. So um, again, history is extremely important. I'm all with you for that. I will carry the history banner, (laughs) you know, down down the street. Um, So, Thank you so, so much. You know you have to go. I, I want to um, just thank you very much um, for, for coming for on the me. show. Um, you have a lovely day because your day is just yes. beginning. <laughs> I've got a, a day of meetings ahead of me. <laughs> so all right, it's, it's, all right. It's been a, been a great start today. You have a good evening, and thank you very much for having me again, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Sometime. Okay, thank you. Is, what is it? Is it Domo Arigato? No, is that... Yep, yep. Domo That's arigato. it, right? Domo arigato. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I remember my brain. Undo See, it's in there. <laughs> okay. All right. Good talk stuff. to you later. You. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I just got off the phone with uh, Thomas Lockley. He's a professor over in Japan at Nihon University College of Law. And um, he wrote a book called The African Samurai. I'm going to be giving away some copies. So I want to let you know you should follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also, I'd love to hear from you. If you just want to email me, you have a question, suggestion, I'm Saturdays with Joy Keys at hotmail.com. And again, I want to tell you if you don't know, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, iTunes, and here at Blog Talk Radio. Check them all out wherever you're comfortable listening to your music. You can also tune into the show. Uh, Again, follow on social media. I'm going to be giving away copies of the book. I hope that you will become a winner. And I will see you on Saturday for the regular show. Saturday I'm going to have um, LGBTQ uh, activists from South Africa on and also a jazz musician, um, Ishmael Wilkins. He will be on. He's a um, saxophone player. So tune in. That's going to be a really great one hour there of uh, information and music. Talk to you later. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. 
Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov.